It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Support for this podcast comes from the first one with DJ Khaled, a new podcast only available on Amazon Music. What's up, y'all? This is DJ Khaled, and this is the first one. I talk to the most iconic artists on the planet about songs that didn't change the game, but changed their life. We hear from all the A-list music stars like J Balvin, Nas, and Kelly Rowland, who tell their stories about the first hits that took them to being overlooked to being overbooked. Join me every Thursday, only on Amazon Music. Who they think you're gonna beat them bangles? It is the Lockdown Bengals Podcast with your hosts, Joe Goodberry and Jake Lisko. Find us on Twitter at Joe Goodberry and at Jake underscore NFL. Please like, subscribe, and share as we try to grow this community and pump out daily Bengals content just for you. What up, Bengals fans, and welcome to another episode of the Lockdown Bengals Podcast. Today was a good day to be a Bengals fan. Joe Burrow, in my opinion, and not the opinion of the buffoons in the national media, including Tony Kornheiser, Pro Football Talk, which, of course, is Mike Florio. It sounds like Dan Patrick is even still pushing the same stuff. Don't listen. Don't watch anybody peddling that nonsense. You've got the Lockdown Bengals podcast for Joe Burrow News, and I've got for you in our first segment here today the most important things that he said during his podium time at the NFL Draft Combine. I'm sure you've all heard it, but we're going to play it again. We're going to listen in detail, and we're going to talk about each talking point that Joe Burrow relayed to everybody watching. And anybody in their right mind comes away from this thinking, of course he's going to go be a Cincinnati Bengal. Let's get into it. While a few resistant members of the national media who must have an agenda continue to peddle the narrative that Joe Burrow doesn't want to play in Cincinnati, Joe Burrow, when addressing the media today, seemed to have other things in mind. The Athletics' Paul Daner Jr. asked him point blank if he would show up if drafted by the Bengals. Ben Baby from ESPN asked Burrow if he'd be excited to play in Ohio. Let's take a listen to those questions and Burrow's answers. Joe, just just to get this out of the way, if if the Bengals select you at number one, would you happily report to go play for them? Yeah, I'm not going to not play. Um, I'm a ball player. Whoever picks me, I'm going to go show up. It would be exciting to be able to play in Ohio professionally, right? Yeah, absolutely. Two hours, 15 minutes from my house, and I could go home for dinner if I wanted to. Um, not, not a lot of pro athletes get to do that. Those were two of the first three questions asked of Joe Burrow when he was on the podium in Indianapolis in front of a throng, an absolute massive gathering of media members. And that's audio from Paul Daner Jr.'s Twitter feed. That's where you heard the questions and audio spliced in from the NFL Network YouTube feed of Joe Burrow's answers to the questions. And I just wanted to include the audio from Paul Daner's tweet so you could clearly hear those questions There's no doubt in anybody's mind after those two things alone, right, that Joe Burrow is going to report to Bengals camp. And later on in the day, Duke Tobin was asked about trading the number one pick. He said at this point it's doubtful. 
there are numerous reasons to believe the Bengals are locked in on Joe Burrow at number one and that he's excited to come back to Ohio. In fact, he said two of his best friends from Athens, Ohio are Bengals fans. Along with that, Joe Burrow addressed the leverage comment saying that he was talking about the combine where he won't be throwing, he won't be working out. That's something that we have talked about on the Locked On Bengals podcast. That's obvious if you look at the entire interview where he talked about having leverage in the first place. He also addressed the media speculation on the topic. I believe it was Jay Morrison asked him directly, what do you think about the narrative? And he essentially called these media members out and they persisted after this podium session. Let's take a listen to what his words were. You know, the only thing that I've said is I I just didn't want to be presumptuous about the pick. And so that's why I've been noncommittal because I don't know what's going to happen. You know, they might not pick me. They might fall in love with someone else. So, they, you know, you guys kind of took that narrative and ran with it. But there, there has never been anything like that from my end. And that's what we've been saying on the Lockdown Bengals podcast for the last several weeks. There is no prospect that has been a surefire number one overall pick And Joe Burrow might not be. And that's exactly what he's acknowledging here. The Bengals aren't likely to trade back. They're not likely to pick a player besides Joe Burrow. But he doesn't know that yet. He hasn't met the team yet. As of the time of recording, he's meeting with them on Wednesday. The team has actually already met with Tua Tungo-Viola. Tua said that that meeting went well and he'd be thankful to whatever team drafted him. So there's two quarterbacks, national media, that have said on the record They would be willing to play for the Bengals one way or another. And Tua, like I said, he said that meeting went well. And because of this, the Bengals doing their due diligence are going to talk to Chase Young. They're going to talk to Justin Herbert again. They're going to see all these guys perform in various athletic tests. They have to do their due diligence on this pick. If they didn't, if they said we're phoning it in and picking Joe Burrow and he turned out to be a bust, they would never hear the end of it. So the Bengals are doing their jobs. Joe Burrow is doing his job. And none of the noise that we've heard for the last month matters at all. It's honestly preposterous to me that there are any elements continuing to push the, but Joe Burrow didn't say he wanted to play for the Bengals. If he had his druthers, maybe he would want to go somewhere else. But that doesn't matter. If you ask 99% of the players in the NFL what team they wanted to play for when they were a college prospect entering the draft, I doubt any of them would say the team that ended up picking them unless they had some prior knowledge. Players don't get to pick where they go. They don't go to the teams that they were childhood fans of. And Joe Burrow even said he was a bandwagon football fan when he was a kid. He just looked up to Drew Brees and watched Reggie Bush. But since Dan Patrick seems to continue to push this idea that he should have just said, you know, I want to play for Cincinnati and I want to take them to the Super Bowl. He was asked to delineate between I'm going to play for whoever drafts me and I want to be a Bengal. And he had an emphatic answer. Joe, I'm not going to not play. It's different than I want to be than the first pick. I want to be a Bengal. Just keep, I mean, do you want to be, in your mind, what do you want to have? Yeah, of course I want to be the first pick. You know, it's, that's, that's every kid's dream. You know, I'm, I've worked really, really hard for this opportunity and I'm blessed to be in this position. And uh, a lot of people helped me get here. Um, so I'm, I'm just really excited to be in this place. If that's not enough to wrap up the press conference, he was asked about what he like to throw to AJ green. And I think that answer is also telling, I just, I don't know what else Dan Patrick wants. I would really love to talk to him directly and play these quotes for him and ask him where he continues to, what else does he need? I I just, I, I don't get it, but, but here's what he had to say about AJ green. You know, I think with any rookie quarterback, the more help, 
you can get, the better. And AJ's been one of the best players at his position for a very long time. And, it, you know, if I am lucky enough to, to get drafted number one overall, I, I would like to have him on the roster. Listen to the way he characterizes that answer. If I'm lucky enough to be drafted first overall, it would be great to have him on the roster. Well, the only team where you can get drafted first overall and have A.J. Green is the Cincinnati Bengals. And if that doesn't close the book on this whole thing, nothing will. All right, that wraps up. Hopefully for the last time, my diatribe, my rant about Joe Burrow, the national media narratives and the way they've treated this whole thing with the Cincinnati Bengals. Coming up here in just a minute, Matt Minnick joins the podcast. We're going to talk about linebackers and why they're important. We're probably going to talk about Joe Burrow too, uh, but it won't be so ranty. Although I think Matt and I are <laughs> in a lot of agreement uh, as to the treatment that this has gotten from people like Mike Florio. So we'll get into all that in just a minute. Want to go see your Cincinnati Reds this spring during spring training? Well, Arizona is a great place to go, not only see baseball, but to see everything else. And if you go down there and go down for the Cactus League, they've got 10 stadiums, 15 MLB teams, 75 degree temperatures. All 10 stadiums are in the greater Phoenix area within 50 miles. Yeah, you can go down and see your Reds in Goodyear Park down there. Or maybe we've talked about it before. You're into the craft beer. They've got Four Peaks, Angels Trumpet Ale House. Goldwater Brewing Company, all known for great beer. Or maybe you're into hiking. Maybe you want to get out in the desert for the numerous national parks down there. Go up to the Grand Canyon. And if you do the canyon, make sure you bring enough water because it's the way back. Unlike most hikes, that's challenging. It's easy going down, hard coming up. Kind of the opposite of the Bengals. We had a hard time with this bad year, and we're going to come up next year. So go on down to Arizona. Take yourself a little spring break, plan your getaway at visitarizona.com slash spring training. This is Ross Jackson from Locked on Saints. This podcast is brought to you by Carvana. In the age of online retailers, buying a car should be no different. And that's why Carvana invented a brand new way for you to buy a car that's 100% online. Without leaving the comfort of your couch, you can browse and buy from their selection of almost 20,000 cars. And once you've made the purchase, your car comes to you, delivered right to your door, or you can go and pick it up from one of the coin-operated car vending machines. All of Carvana's cars come with a seven-day return policy, ensuring that you get a car that fits perfectly with your life. Not happy? Exchange it or return it for a full refund. And with its dedication to customer service, it's why hundreds of thousands of customers have ditched the dealership and given Carvana 4.7 stars in customer satisfaction. So check it out. The nation's fastest growing auto retailer at Carvana.com, C-A-R-V-A-N-A.com, Carvana.com. All right, as promised, I'm joined today by Matt Minnick, Coach Minnick. Coach, when's the last time you coached some football? Uh, it's been been a couple of years, unfortunately, but uh, uh, you can't keep me away. <laughs> can't keep you away, and and just like Dante Scarnecchia, right? Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, no kidding. So, I think yeah, there's a, there's definitely an itch, you know, and people get it in different ways, and and I love coaching for uh, for certain reasons, and I'm not not saying I'll com- I'm, I'll ever completely be away from it, but uh, it took me like like two months to discover writing and uh you know you got to have some kind of mental outlet when you're when you put so much energy into that stuff for years yeah and obviously it's a completely different level of scarnecchia <laughs> yeah of course i mean 
That, I mean, but he's going out to the combine, right? He just retired, and you know somebody sees him on a flight to Indianapolis to go. I mean, I guess you just go hang out, right? Like, there's no harm in that. But you can follow Matt on Twitter at Coach Minnick. Highly recommend it. I, I don't know if you heard the podcast yesterday, Matt. I invoked your name, I think, three times about various topics. <laughs> I, you know, I'm sorry, I missed it. <laughs> no, you missed, you missed me keeping the you. praise on you there. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. So, yeah, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, Skarnicki's probably hanging out, talking, talking ball, throwing some beers back. I mean, those are, I'll tell you what, I've, I've, I've been fortunate enough to, to meet a lot of guys and like the good ones, like, you know, no matter what level they're at, they'll like have a beer and talk football with anybody and they'll do it for hours on end and they don't care. And then, and then there's, then there's some guys that like try and big time you, but, most of the time, the ones that are really good coaches are the ones that will talk to anybody about football anytime anyway. That would be so fun. for, for And I'm not a coach, right? I'm, I'm, a, I'm a casual observer, essentially, of, of football at this point. I'm a podcast host, you know. I, I have eight and a half inch hands. I measured them yesterday. <laughs> uh, I'm not going to be a quarterback in the NFL. And if I was, then something would have gone terribly wrong. But you... <laughs> You have this experience, but I've always thought, man, like if I could get Andy Dalton in a room and just watch a game with Andy Dalton, break down some film, see what he sees compared to what I see. Same for Zach Taylor, right? But for the longest time, I was focused on Andy Dalton. 2015 or maybe 14, I can't remember now. Might have been 16. There was one year where I was doing the PFF kind of process of charting every throw. I wasn't working for PFF at the time, although I did in the past, and I was like, man, I would, I would love to just talk about these with him and, and see, am I, am I seeing the same thing that he saw or, or yeah. why did he make that decision? And, and that would be really cool. But you recently had a podcast with the former Green Bay analytics guy, Mike Ayers. Am I saying that right? Yes. Yep. How did you get that contact? Is that a guy you've met in your network or, or is that a, how did that come about? He's actually a, he's actually a, a, a family friend or a friend of a family friend. So it's, he's a guy that uh, uh, I've I've been in contact with and and just uh, I've had a lot of personal conversations with him uh, about some of these things. And finally, it was just like you know what, let, let, let's bring out the podcast and, and and share this knowledge. Uh, but yeah, he's a uh, that was a that was a great episode. Everybody out there hasn't heard it. It was uh, uh, he had thirty one years of experience uh, in the NFL, the Vikings, and the Packers running their analytics departments and, and his, his, uh, title was director of research and development. The analytics is kind of a, kind of a newer term, but you know, they've been doing that stuff for years. And, uh, so yeah, that was a, that was a great one. This guy's been in a lot of draft rooms and evaluated a lot of football. So, you know, I, I think, you know, to, t- to touch on what you're saying, I think anytime you can get around anybody that like just really knows football inside and out, I mean, it, it, it's just great to, you know, you know, egos aside and just like listen to people and take in information. Um, you know, I, I know you, you, you and I have talked sometimes about my videos being a little bit long for you. Um, I years ago, uh, I was at a uh, I was at a conference uh, and Ryan Day was at the time the receivers coach at Boston College. Uh, or, or I think it was yeah, I think it was a receivers coach. He wasn't even the coordinator yet. Uh, and I saw him talk about the slant route for an hour, one route, 
and just every single thing his receivers looking at every every single adjustment that they would make to different coverages and like how you know every single change that was in there um i mean some of these yeah some of these guys the level that they break things down and look at that really you know really incredible with the you know how much detail there is in one simple part of one play i think that for, for me, and I like your videos a lot, and I've gotten over the length issue, and I just watch them. <laughs> the, the thing about it, though, is I can't, even, <laughs> I can't even play them on, like, one and a half speed, which I do with podcasts, right? Because there's yeah. video, right? And I'm trying to see what you're looking <laughs> at, too. Um, but, but going back to the Ayers thing for a second, you talked about one of the things that I actually mentioned. I don't know if it was yesterday or two days ago, but right after I listened to your, to your podcast with him, I... I talked the next day on our podcast about the process of building a draft board that you talked about then i read today on the athletic this super forecasting thing and i just find it all so interesting because you know you talk about the fact that analytics have been called something else they've been around forever but teams aren't better and that's one of the findings that that several different people if you go back to 1980 and say from 1980 to 2020 2019 are teams getting better at drafting and the answer is no that, that mm. despite the amount of data that we have teams continue to to miss in the draft and it's just it's hard right you you would expect like these are the people that are the best at it in the world they're extremely good at their jobs but the job just comes with so much uncertainty that you're gonna miss and and do you have any ideas did you get a feel from mike about anything or, or that, that that's changing that could change the the direction here that Maybe some of this new data that we're getting could help things, or is it just going to be a crapshoot forever? You know, I, I didn't really get any indication from from him of, of anything along those lines, but I, I do feel like, you know, sometimes we, we distance the numbers from the football a little bit too much, um, and and I, I kind of feel like I live in a weird place because, uh, uh, you know, I, I, sometimes I I'll talk I'll talk about numbers and I get old school football people yelling at me and, and I've, I've definitely had a few, uh, <laughs> a few analytics people, uh, you know, uh, down my throat about things from time to time based on things I said. But I mean, at the end of the day, I think you need a football guy to, to, who can interpret everything. Um, because you know, more effort, more information is better, but only if you can, you can, figure out what it means and get to the heart of it. Cause I mean, more information can be very, very confusing. Uh, you know, unless you, you have a way of cutting through it and figuring out what really is important, what really matters. And I think that's particularly, you know, because with football, you're looking for the outliers. So, you know, sometimes people aren't going to fit a model uh, and they're going to, you know, in particular, if we're talking about the draft prospects, uh, process the the guys you're looking for aren't always going to fit into exactly what you want i mean and, and you know we can be slow to adapt i mean i i laugh a little bit when, when people talk about how in today's nfl it's so important to have a quarterback who can create because bill walsh in his book talks about that and the book's like 30 years old about you know that's what he loved about montana you know, Montana didn't have a huge arm, you know, but he, but he could create, he could do things. That's why he went out and got Steve Young. And, um, you know, and that, it took Patrick Mahomes taking the world by storm for everybody to realize that they want Patrick Mahomes. Uh, but even, I mean, even, you know, even then, like that was, that was, I, I looked at Mahomes and I was like, you know, this is, 
this is the guy because if he can do that stuff and, and you know clean up some of his other stuff, he's going to be awesome. Uh, so, I, I mean, I, I think at the end of the day, it's just being able to interpret that and like, knowing what you want. And because a few years ago, the NFL didn't know they wanted Patrick Mahomes, and they took Mitch Trubisky first. You know, <laughs> Andy Reid knew. Yeah, Andy Reid knew. Andy Reid definitely knew. And, and credit Andy Reid, right? I've talked about that on this show before. Andy Reid finally got a Super Bowl. I think has solidified his legacy, but mm-hmm. I think underrated for a very long time because, you know, he had Alex Smith at quarterback and he didn't quite get it done with Donovan McNabb. And you talk about, you know, the, the need for a football guy in this analytics room and a lot of guys like Ian Rappaport will talk about or, or Daniel Jeremiah will, will talk about, you know, you're looking for fit and that's a big part of it. So, it's just there's so many variables that go into the pot, right? You've got the the scheme fit. You've got your minimum thresholds for various athletic testing for various positions. You've got positional value, which is something we're going to talk about with linebackers here in a little bit. And oh. and then there's subjectivity to it all, too. And, and as a podcast co-host, as an armchair guy, as a Twitter draft guy, I try to do all of it. I try to incorporate the analytics. I use the PFF grades to kind of help me understand productivity. I use market share. And then a lot of it is still, let's go to the film. Let's see what shows up. Let's look at traits. And you try to mash all that together. And the challenge for Joe and I has been, how do you weigh each of those attributes and, and get something that kind of summarizes a prospect in a, in a grade that incorporates all those aspects. And I think that when somebody figures that out, maybe they'll have some answers. Yeah. And I mean, that's really tough too, because even within a position group, like there's great, you know, variability in that. Like, how do you win? You know, is what it comes down to, you know, how, how do you win? How do you do your job and what's going to be expected of you? And, you know, I look at, uh, I, I had a bad experience or scouting personally a few years ago when Cooper cup came out, I saw his film and I was like, this guy's, this guy's the man. And, you know, I, like I coached at the FCS level. I respect that level, but I, you know, I always kind of looked at it as for a, an FCS or a D2 type of guy that the testing was really important. And then when I saw him, you know, how he, how he performed at the combine, I, I, I knocked him down because I was like, you know what? Maybe he can't maybe he can't hang with these guys based on the numbers he put up. Uh, but I, mean, I lost sight of it. Like, that's that's not how we won. You know, he wasn't the fastest guy at the FCS level either. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it's definitely it's definitely something you have to, you have to balance. And, uh, you know, to me, I've kind of fallen back on the film. And when I talk about, like, grades on guys and, and how I'm I, – all I really do is a film grade. Cause I don't, I don't really know how to balance all the other stuff as well. Um, you know, and, and when you get into medicals, I'm not looking at any, you know, I'm not, I'm not examining a person. I'm not a doctor. You know, you get into, um, uh, you know, you get into some of the, some of the stats and it's like, all right, well, th- these are all different situations. Um, you know, so you, you kind of, you have to fall back on, on what you know, and then kind of, kind of trust other people, you know, look at, look at what other people are doing as well. So that's, I, I kind of focus on the film myself, but realize that there's an asterisk on it that, you know, there are obviously other things that are, are going to come into play with it. And I think that that's fair, right? Like teams are doing a pretty similar thing and they're going to have minimum benchmarks. You can look at the Bengals history. They have their archetypes and Joe has done this research. Interesting to talk about Cooper cup though. You look at his 40 yard dash is terrible, but then mm-hmm. you look at his agility drills 
and he's 81st percentile in the three cone, 82nd percentile in the 20 yard shuttle. So those are both really good. So his agility testing is really good. So, so he still has something athletically to hang his hat on. And I think that is a big part of, of where he wins. And then you Mm -hmm. look at that class, right? Cooper cup below average athlete, 40, 46th percentile overall, give or take the top of that class, Robert Davis, Zay Jones, Chris Godwin, Amara (laughs) Darbo, Kenny Galladay. So two out of those five have really done much in the NFL. And I guess the, the jury's still out to some degree on, on all these guys, but Zay Jones in particular, I think Robert Davis and Amara Darbo, are they still in the, I don't even know if they're in the NFL. I don't know. <laughs> but yeah. it's just a good indicator that athleticism obviously isn't everything. Tape needs to play a big factor in it. And then for me, mm-hmm. something that I want to talk about with you specifically as it pertains to the linebacker position is, is, is positional value. And this idea that PFF has with their wins over replacement that has been really interesting to digest this off yeah. season. So Joe will be with us in just a minute and we'll get into it with him. Hey, what's happening? It's your boy Q, host of the Locked On Raiders podcast. And I hope you guys feasted on the MyBookie Turkey Day free play that allowed users to grab themselves a risk-free bet up to $250. It was basically a free shot at trying to double your money. If you didn't get in on that, what are you doing? No, nah, but seriously, now is the time to get some skin in the game with MyBookie, where odds boost, lightning deals, and free bets await all season long. And with the NFL playoffs right around the corner, we know who these teams are. We know what they're capable of, and it's not difficult to find some value in the lines. Whether you're a first-time customer or have been playing with MyBookie for years, there is no shortage of value to be found in the thousands of game lines, unique prop bets, and contests that they offer every week. Sign up or get reloaded today. Find an edge, make your bet, and get paid. They also boast a fully-fledged casino platform, giving you access to all the classic table, slot, and card games you'd expect to find at your local spot. And the best part is, at MyBookie, the doors never close, so you can continue to build your bankroll even after the stadium lights have gone out. Make the right play and sign up today at MyBookie. And when you do, use promo code LOCKEDON to get your deposit match halfway all the way up to 1000 bucks. The terms are simple. You put in $200, they'll match you with another $100 in your account. If you were already planning to bet this season, this is free betting money. It's winning season at MyBookie, so come join in on the fun and win some cash while you're at it. Support for this podcast comes from CDW and Dell Technologies. At CDWG, we get that migrating your agency to a hyper-converged infrastructure is challenging. Like me switching to decaf. Gotta do it, don't wanna do it, but gotta do it. Whoa, slow down, friend. CDWG's experts can help simplify your transition from legacy to hyper-converged infrastructure with Dell EMC solutions that offer speed and agility. Do it, do it. Have you done it? Is it done yet? Why isn't it done yet? IT orchestration by CDWG. People who get it. Find out more at cdwg.com slash EMC. And as promised, Joe Goodberry back with us. Matt Minnick, though, the special guest tonight, whose name I've said I invoke on this podcast all the time to talk about the good work he's doing. You can find his stuff over on Cincy Jungle where he writes and he puts his videos up. His, what what are they called? The Coach coach Blackboard? It's not that. What what do you call the your chalk videos? Chalk Talk. Chalk Talk. It's, uh, yeah, it's the Matt Minnick's Bengals Chalk Talk. There you go. Go check out Matt Minnick's Bengals Chalk Talk. So we wanted to talk about the positional value of linebacker, because this is something Joe and I have struggled with for the last couple of years in the draft where the Bengals had an obvious need there. But then we sit there and we think, man, you really want to take Devin Bush instead of Jonah Williams? And, and it's, we talk ourselves out of it right away. 
Yeah, and and I agree with you there. You know, um, I was I was a fan of Devin White, and I could have bought. You know, I was I was talking myself into Devin White, uh, but honestly, I didn't think Jonah Williams was going to be there when the Bengals were selected. I, he he was the uh, my top tackle in the class. Um, I thought he would go a little bit higher, and I think the the Steelers might have might have done the Bengals a favor there. Um, but I think sometimes we get a little carried away with position value uh, because. You know, at the top, at the top half, when you're talking about a, a top ten pick, when you're talking about a first round pick, you know, I I understand it, um, but you know, when we're talking about pick thirty three, I'm not saying they should be targeting linebacker at that spot because that's not how I think you should draft. Um, but I don't think there's anything wrong with taking a you know a high caliber athletic linebacker at the top of the second round. I actually agree with with Matt here, um, and it's, it wasn't until he made that point because I think once you get into round two, if you look at positional value, a lot of times these guys get knocked down. Where do you find good guards, right, mid to late? Sometimes even second round because teams aren't going to draft a guard in the second round or in the first round. They're not going to draft a center in the first round typically, so they get a lot of good centers in the second round. I think linebacker and safety at times, even though safety's been weird lately where these hybrid guys are starting to get pushed up a little bit, uh, that I think you can find – the right linebacker in round two, the best linebacker in, in the league, in my opinion, Bobby Wagner, I think it, probably everyone would agree round two pick. I mean, the Bengals, if they've had success and maybe Odell Thurman was so long ago that it's the, the last good linebacker they drafted, but that was round two. And I think you find these guys in that range. And that's usually when Jake and I are doing these um, mock draft simulations where we get in the round two and it's like, all right, now it's actually a debate. It's been hard for us in the first round. And now number one, obviously, but sure. uh, I th- you know, I think when you get in the round two, so that's, I didn't have a question. I was agreeing with you, Matt, but I do have a question <laughs> about the linebacker position. And if, if, when you're watching film, uh, you break down as X's nose, I think you're, you're the best at it for that, for, for Bengals content, but from a player evaluation, if you're looking at it from a GM, what are the traits you're looking for in that linebacker? I mean, you know, the biggest aspect uh, comes back to speed, uh, you know, and and having the the speed to be able to cover a lot of distance, that is something that the Bengals have lacked. Um, I think that you can survive with an A gap, B gap, you know, plugging linebacker if you are extremely good on your edges. And we've seen like the Patriots have done that in the past. The the Bengals are notoriously bad on the edge, um, and you know so when you have that and you have no speed to go sideline to sideline and then with them getting on the edge on you, you're in a lot of trouble. And those are the guys, by the way, that shouldn't be valued. You know, those guys that are just plugging gaps, they're not really contributing that much for you. Um, you know, so, so they shouldn't do much. You know, I, I think from my standpoint and Jake and I were talking previously by, you kind of always had to be evaluating yourself and, and your process. Um, this it's, it almost makes me sick to say it out loud, but I think I overvalue tackling ability. Uh, you know, uh, we're, you know, like I, I think, we, especially my film grades, I'm I'm really high, and I, I see the guy that is making great tackles, um, you know, and, and and you know, high percentage, good form. I'm a little bit overvaluing that, and and you know, we got to focus a little bit more on the athletic traits to be able to go sideline to sideline. But at the end of the day, you know, we'll, we'll talk about what really makes a linebacker valuable in a minute. But if you're going to play in the box linebacker, 
you've got to be able to make a quick read. You got to be able to fill a gap and you got to be able to get off blocks. You know, if you're an outside of the box guy, you know, if you're playing, you're playing outside linebacker mainly, maybe you can survive without being, you know, great at getting off blocks because you're only dealing with receiver blocks and things. Um, but at the end of the day, you've got to be able to do those things. And that's what I see. I'll, I'll, I'll throw one name under the bus. Troy Dye in this year's draft. A lot of people are very high on him. Great athlete. I don't, I don't love him when he's in the box. And I don't think he's a very good tackler either, which um, I want to make the point that tackling, uh, tackling quantity does not equal tackling ability. Because the guy's made it, he's got a ton of tackles, but he's got a ton of tackles because he runs the ball. Um, and you know, honestly, I, I see some some plays on film where he's falling off a tackle, and somebody else comes and cleans it up. And I know he's getting credit for that in the stat sheet, uh, but to me, it's a missed tackle. So, uh, yeah, you know, I, I really think that like athletic ability is what really pushes them up and gives them a lot a lot of value. But you've got to be able to do those things inside the box to, to disengage, get off blocks, get in the gap uh, that you need to be in. And you talk about Troy Dye, and and I had issues with his motor at times too. I think he's long, and and there's just not enough power when he's when he's hitting blockers. He's not doing what Patrick Queen does, where he's got the agility to kind of disengage the blocker before the blocker gets hands on him. And, and I, th- I think I'm with you on Troy Dye, but let's talk about what can make a linebacker very valuable. I know you highly value positional flexibility. You've talked about Lou Anarumo deploying these edge rushers the Bengals have in different ways, moving them around. Uh, you have a whole video on it, actually. And you did a video on Patrick Queen and on Kenneth Murray from Oklahoma. So sell me on the the value of a linebacker say you needed to sell me on one of those two guys say one of those two guys is there at 33 and it's it's them or it's you know a grant delpit or it's a cameron dantzler or a jeff gladney is there Mm -hmm. an argument to go linebacker over those guys um i think there could be um and i'm not going to completely finish my uh, defensive back grades here until after the uh, the combine numbers come out. Uh, but uh, Gladney is going to be a tough sell <laughs> to, uh, uh, to, to pass on Gladney. That is, uh, but you know, the others, I could see it. So let me, um, you know, let me back this up. So uh, Leonard Fournette, Christian McCaffrey, you know, top 10 running backs. One of, you know, what you know but what's the difference was 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 McCaffrey worth the pick was was Fournette worth the pick in the in the top 10 are you asking me uh Fournette no McCaffrey uh it's close it's close because because he they didn't they didn't quite get it done with him Right. Mm-hmm. And and you, you can't build around a running back the way you can build around a quarterback on a rookie deal. So they're going to have to pay him a ton of money. <laughs> and, and and yeah, maybe they'll get the guy in the rookie quarterback deal. So they'll be able to build with him making a ton of money. But I mean, obviously more so McCaffrey than than Fournette, the way they've built that offense around McCaffrey. But I would still s- sort of lean no. All right. Well, but, but still, it's a conversation. All right. Yeah. And, and Joe, Joe maybe... let me get Joe's take on this real quick. What do you think? Yeah, Christian McCaffrey worth a top 10 pick? 
Yeah, he is because of his receiving ability. A running back's not worth anything unless they can make a difference in a re- in the receiving game, in my opinion. Uh, the running backs, the running part of it is the common part. The the ability to be a space sure. player and a chess piece for the offense is a difference, and that's where McCaffrey comes in. Yeah, because he can line up out wide, right? Like Alvin oh, Kamara yeah. can do this too. He could be a starting slot receiver. If yeah. he got too old where he couldn't carry the ball 300 times anymore, I think he'd be a starting slot receiver. And we might see him go that way. But, Matt, let's get back to your point here about yes. what you're so that's what, I, that's what I'm trying to get at. Is To me, it's the same thing with linebacker. Like, if you're just playing the run, you know, again, that, that, that should be common. We should be able to find guys that can do that, right? But if you can contribute and you can affect the quarterback in different ways, you have more value. Um, so – you know, that can be as a, as a pressure guy. All right. And now, you know, we're not really talking about outside linebackers, you know, like edge players. Um, but, you know, even an inside linebacker, if, if you're able to have an effect on the quarterback uh, by, by getting pressure, um, you know, that adds to your value. And then you've got to be able to uh, make plays in the pass game in coverage. Uh, so that's, you know, that's, where these guys come in is that, especially Queen. That's that, that to me is what, what pushes Queen above. Is that to me Queen's Queen is a more complete, uh, more finished project than Murray right now. Uh, and I think I think he's the one that I think is less likely to be there. But I think he's the one that's that if he's there, you gotta you gotta take a real hard look at uh, because he does all the all the right things in the run game. He can get off of blocks, but he's got some good coverage ability. Uh, he can match up on backs out of the backfield. You know, he's saying make some make some plays in, in zone as well. So he can affect the quarterback. I mean, at the end of the day, that's what, you know, the closer you can put yourself to the quarterback and, and tie with the production of the quarterback, whether you're an offensive player or a defensive player, uh, the more valuable you are. So, you know, that's that's why I use that comparison. And, and, and I'm, you know, I'm with you. I think like Kamara, we – this year he didn't get as much play. Uh, you know, people aren't talking about him quite as much, but people talk about Kamara as one of the top, like, five running backs in the league before the season, and the guy's never rushed for 1,000 yards, you know? <laughs> so, um, so you know, the common part he's not doing a lot of, but because he is honestly probably the best slot receiver in the NFL, uh, but, but lining up in the backfield to do it, uh, he's got tremendous value. So I think it's the same thing with the linebacker position. If you can affect the quarterback, if you can play coverage, if you can get to the quarterback, um, you know, as a blitzer, then those things make you worth a worth a pick. I'm going to be really interested, really interested, to see how Malik Harrison tests, because I think if you can get him in the third round, I, I might rather have him than anyone else. But I think there's a long way to go on this too, right? Like. One thing that Joe and I talk about is is solo market solo tackle market share, which Patrick Queen I think is a unique case. He didn't start for the beginning of this year, and he wasn't really playing full time snaps for a lot of the year. So I'm not sure if that metric is going to be accurate for him. But if it is, he is like below draftable. So that's something mm. that we're going to have to look at. I think. I, but but I agree with you. I think compared to Murray. Queen at least shows you that he has dropped in coverage. He's played some of those deep zones, and you just don't see it with with Murray. You see him spying. You see him in the short zones. You see him blitzing. And one thing that I found really interesting in your positional versatility bit uh, that you did a couple uh, a couple weeks ago now was I think I undervalue blitzing in linebackers, especially with Luana Rumo. I think I'm so used to Mike Zimmer and that kind of defense that 
I, I haven't cared about blitzing for 10 years and, and now I have to care about it again. Yeah. When we were talking about Devin Bush and Devin white a year ago, I wasn't really thinking about that aspect of it either, but it was just looking at the film this year and looking at, I mean, particularly with, uh, with vigil, you know, they were lining up vigil, you know, in the, in, in the middle of the, uh, of the formation, like in the a gaps a lot and, and sending them. Now there's a couple of ways to look at that. And so as a coach, uh, I have had experiences where sometimes you don't have the best players uh, and sometimes getting them moving is better than letting them try and make reads and react slow. So maybe he was doing that because he was stuck with vigil. I don't know. <laughs> you know maybe if there's a better player in there, he won't do it as much. Um, but just trying to look at what what he was able to do. If you if you put Queen in there, like I think Queen makes some better some better plays. Uh, and maybe has an effect on the quarterback in some of these situations where he's going. Um, and, you know, we talk about position versatility, and, and I've got a video coming out uh, this week, actually, where I look at some edge players uh, as well as uh, another, uh, an outside backer and kind of look at how they can affect it. And I would say the same thing with, like, like uh, James Uche from Michigan. You know, I, I've seen him rush the edge, but I've also seen him line up like a backer and, and, and head right up the B-gap. And, you know, a guy like that can have some effect. Uh, so I, I think if Anaruma was going to be creative with these guys, uh, you know, having a bunch of guys that can do some different things in there could, could make this defense really interesting. I, I get excited watching this defense for as bad as it was, just seeing some of the things they were trying to do late in the year. It's, there, there's, some very, there, there's a lot of potential there, um, and I'm, 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 I'm hoping for the best right now. That's why I wonder how they'll feel about Zach Bond at 33 because of the different things you can do there, especially pass rushing. And if you can drop him into coverage a little bit, which he did at the senior bowl. And then Akeem Davis-Gaither, who I think if he lights up the combine, we're going to have to talk about him because position versatility. He was like the Isaiah Simmons at Appalachian State where they would move him around, do a bunch of stuff with him. He'd rush off the edge. He'd drop Mm -hmm. into coverage. He'd defend the run. And he, for a smaller guy, doesn't let himself get touched by blockers. And I think having that that awareness and, and just being able to see the game um, kind of in, you kind of have to have a slow motion or an anticipation from the linebacker position. I think he has, he has that. Uh, I really think he could be in the conversation if he destroys the combine at 33. And if not, then hopefully he's there in, in the third round. I think that'd be a good value pick. You know, it's funny because those uh, Uche and those two are, are the three guys that the video I just, I just made uh, are on. I can uh, tell and, by and the I, way you described them. Yeah, and you know, and I, I think that those guys, um, they can do some of the same things, but they all have really unique skill sets too. Um, Bond is a really interesting one because I think he's the best pass rusher of the group, and obviously, you know, that's that's a value if he can play off the off the ball linebacker. In addition to that, um, and and Joe, you know, you you were at the Senior Bowl practices, so you saw a little bit more of him in that action. Uh, live than I did, so love to hear your take on it. Um, you know, but if you can get him to do that, he's got the he's got the highest floor uh, because worst case scenario, he's a situational pass rusher. Yeah, and as for practice, he was strictly a linebacker, and they were doing a lot of uh, three four and four three looks. So he was he was getting some edge stuff and um, and some middle linebacker in a three four kind of as the thumper role which I thought worked, especially if they had a more agile linebacker next to him when they did. Uh, you know, he was coming downhill, taking blocks, and 
you could blitz with him. You could do different things in the A-gap with him. I didn't think he looked out of place at all dropping in the coverage, especially in the middle of the field. Uh, so I wonder if he's a sandbacker even in a 4-3 in a maybe over-under type stuff, uh, or do, is he just like a, a middle linebacker that you're going to keep in the box and let him take on blockers because he's really good with that, and then you kick Tremaine Pratt to the outside and let him roam around a little bit. So go look at Matt's video. We'll see if he has some things to say that line up to what you've heard on this podcast, what you've heard from Joe in his summary of the senior bowl practices that he saw in person, Matt, it has been an absolute pleasure. Could talk Bengals football with you for hours. It feels like you are a wealth of knowledge. You are a great resource for the community and we are glad that you can finally, uh, well, glad that we, I think finally made the move to get you on here. This has been great. This is the second time he's been on here. What is it? Matt? No. No. You were, you were on my draft mm. show before, but I haven't been on yours before. That's right. I've never <laughs> spoken to Matt Minnick before. That was me and John that went on. Yeah, you get all the invites, Joe. Mo Egger bringing you on his show last minute last night. I'm sitting over yeah. here. You, you even misquoted the tweet that I talked about on the show yesterday. Uh, sorry. It was before it's okay. that. You know what? It's okay. We got to wrap this show up. Thanks for listening to the Locked On Bengals podcast today. We'll be back tomorrow with more Combine news. I'm sure we'll maybe finish our free agent series that we've been working on, maybe not, our positional outlook series. We have a few more positions to do. Until then, Bengals fans, have a good one. Did you watch the 2020 Reds with higher expectations than a first-round wild card exit of epic proportions? Did you think that the Reds hitting would come around with the signings that they made last offseason? Are you wondering who is asking you all of these questions? Hi, my name is Jeff Carr, and I host the Locked On Reds podcast each and every day, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Throughout the offseason, I'm going to take a look at these Reds, how they fix what didn't work in 2020, and how they continue their success in 2021. But wait, there's more. I'll also have interesting interviews with players, writers, and everyone in between talking about the Cincinnati Reds. Come join me on the Locked On Reds podcast each and every day.